please pronounce your name correctly for me. Helen Peterson. And you do, again, like many of my guests, you do many things. You're a bit of a hyphenate. So like you are work at a museum, you work for an artist residency, you are an artist yourself. Um, could you give me a little bit of background on sort of what, like t a little touchstone on each of those different practices? I suppose I'll start with the museum. Years ago, I spent a year in school here on this tiny island and was walking past this place almost every day. And uh, it so happens to be that the, the teacher I had was also a 50% position here at the museum as a guide, as putting on events and things like that all year round, came a time when she wanted to leave and I was asked to take her position after her because I'd been helping out with different events and doing some guided tours and things like that over the years. So when she finally thought that she'd had enough, then I was asked both by her and the museum director. So it's a local historical museum, which conveys the history of the region, but also it's a cultural place. It's an old monastery from 1163. We are trying to sort of continue a tradition which the monasteries were, especially in Norwegians don't really understand this because they think it as just a secluded place with monks and or nuns and things like that. But it was actually a cultural gate, you know, all the monasteries had influences from abroad, from other countries, from different languages, different cultures and things like that. And it was educational institutions. So that is what we are trying to do with this place now as being a museum, yes, but also being a cultural hotspot for the, this small region. It's only 3,500 people living on the island and about 15,000 in the whole commune. It's educating people about culture in general. If you don't mind me asking, what, um, I don't know how to say it, like what religion was the monastery based in? It was Catholic and the monks were Augustinian monks. So My yeah. father's actually an Episcopal priest. Okay. Yeah. So I have a, 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 a working knowledge of religion, let's say, but not really close knowledge. Yeah. And then, you know, in 1536, 37, you had the big reformation in Europe and Basically, all the monasteries were banned in Norway. The Catholic faith was banned in Norway until 1825 or something like that, I think. And maybe that was good for them. Yeah, it was good and bad. I mean, there's ups and downs to everything, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you know, open a door, close a window kind of thing, mm, yeah. Yeah. So now at the museum, though, you all also have an artist residency, which if anybody listens to the podcast, they know I absolutely love residencies. So tell me a little bit about the residency itself. Well, I have to go back about 12 years when I was told by my then director that she had a couple, two photographers who she wanted to sort of investigate what this place could be like as an artist residency, because it's a big house, there's bedrooms upstairs. They were photographers and I said, yeah, okay. So they were going to stay here for a week and sort of suss out what, how does it work and what can people do? And that went really fine and was really interesting and uh, interesting people. I didn't know much about photography at the time. I had been a photographer myself for some years, but not professionally or anything like that. And it was decided that we're going to put up a residency or we're going to do a trial anyway. So they were put with the task of going to Arles where they were going anyway. They knew a few people, so they basically got a small space beside the others. 
to sort of try out. And this was free for people. If they were interested in this kind of residency, they could go and talk to them for free. There's no extra charge or anything like that. But they were just given a small corner. And this basically took off something chronic. And the first year we had between 60 and 80 applicants for six spaces. So then we really had to sit down and sort of figure out how do we do this? As I said, it's a big house and the house is where they stay. And they stay on the grounds and there's not a lot of communication or transport on the island. So we bought some bikes, basically. The first ones we had, I mean, people are in awe when they come. So that's really uh, nice. I'm starting, I'm, I'm trying to fast forward here. So this is something that you're just going to cut out at some point. Uh, anyway, we started with no some... Need, no need yeah. to fast forward on my account. No, we started with some tests. And this is the first story, by the way, <laughs> with some test people because they really wanted the residency. And there were two Americans, or I should say he is American and she is originally Italian that my uh, partner, Avin, knew quite well. And we decided to test it out in October, which was not going to be the time of year where we would have the residency here in Norway anyway. The West Coast, so it's quite mild climate and all that, so it's not really harsh winters here on the West Coast. But this particular year, they came over in mid-October, and it was minus 16, bare frost. There was no snow, it was just frost. And minus 16 on the West Coast is equivalent to about minus 30 inland. So That's what I had very to, cold. It's very cold. And uh, so what I had to do basically was I had to rummage all my cupboards and find all the warm gear and hats and gloves and things like that. And do not go outside without them. Because they come straight from Arizona from plus 30 degrees. <laughs> so it was quite hilarious. And for them, it was magical because there was icicles and, you know, all over the place. So they were the first test rabbits for the residency and they stayed for about three weeks. Got to be really productive and had a fantastic exhibition two years later. Normally we have a, an exhibition a year after, but this was because with a long travel, we had to wait a little bit for them to be able to come over. So it was then decided that this is gonna work quite well. We managed to get a spot in the Owl Festival the following year, and this was my big <laughs> career move. <laughs> First time going to all and being on the other side of the table as a reviewer for reviewing people who were applying to come to this residency. And again, we had about 60, 70 applicants. I don't know if you have been to all or people who listening to this have been to all, but normally as a official reviewer, you have about two to three half days where you're reviewing. You see maybe 20, 30 people in the official reviews normally. During that first week, we had about 65 interviews or reviews. To put it this way, it was not necessary to go to see any exhibitions for me after that. That was, uh, that was uh, image overload. <laughs> but we have the residency itself is for three weeks. We, we have divided it into two slots, one in May, June time and one in August, September time. Because during the summer, I have summer guides and things like that. So it's, it's difficult to have people staying in the house once you have all the big tourist crowds coming. So we had divided up into sort of two to three people in May, June and two to three people in August, September. The criteria are not that 
strict or anything like that. And there's no money involved for the artists. They have to pay their own travel. They have to pay their own food. We, they get a food allowance, a small food allowance, because it's more expensive here in Norway than in other countries. But they are free to work on whatever project they want to do. We don't have any sort of specific wants or needs for what they are going to work on. And that makes it even harder for the artists, really. Because if we say, well, we want you to work within this kind of framework and things like that, then it's all sort of set. But this is for them. Basically, what we try to do is to create an artist in residency, the kind of residency that we would like ourselves. You know? <laughs> I, I'm on your side. I mean, my biggest belief is, is that what artists want is time, space and money. Mm. Those are the three things. Very little money, but lots of good friends and lots of good talks and lots of good moments. And we've had and time all, and time, but we've set it to three weeks. And people think that's sort of a little bit too little, uh, because in other residencies that I've heard of, there's months, you know, maybe a month, two months, three months, but this is three weeks. That means that you're going to have to get your act together and use that time as best you can. The only thing we expect back is that the following year, we put up an exhibition where those three artists have been staying together here in the house with what they've been working on during those three weeks. That's the criteria. But we are looking for good people, good ideas. Good ideas, good quality, and good yeah. people is yeah. what you have listed on your website. And that's the criteria. And we do take applications online or via email, but we have now decided that if we're going to do that, continue that, then there will be a Skype or Zoom conversation because it has been absolutely vital to meet these people face to face. And we are two people. One is a professional artist and knows what he's talking about. I'm starting to get a hang of it. But for me, is that this is also my office. So the artist will be staying in my office. And we are bringing three completely different people together, three personalities, working in very different ways. That's also one of the main things that when we put a group together, we want them to be diverse, you know? Well, I, I was going to ask you more about that. It's sort of like when you see these portfolios and meet these people, like what are the criteria by which you choose to say, okay, these three people I think will either contradict or complement each other in some interesting or unique way? Mm. And that's uh, basically the last day before we put up the shortlist out there. It's um, hell, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Well, but how many people are deciding? So you mentioned you and your partner. So is it just the two of you that make the decision since yes. you're the ones who have your offices in the, the space? I would assume you're yeah. the biggest vote, at least. We are the ones deciding because, and I have actually the, the final say in, in many ways, because I'm going to have to be working around these people every day they are here. So for me, it is important to have good people as well as good work, of course. But it is basically, we put up a shortlist around mid-July, beginning of August, with 12 names. And then we give ourselves another month to bring those 12 names down to six. Then it is sort of the quality of the work, the diversity, and then 
trying to put together a group which who works in different ways. You know, some work black and white on film, some work very abstract, some work documentary. And that has been working really well. And that's the feedback we've had from the artists as well, is that they learn so much from the other persons and get such an insight into other kind of work. And you can imagine if there were three people working very poetically or very documentary at the same time, they would sort of be competing. And that's not, that's not what we want. We want them to complement each other. Yeah, I'm a big... Um... <sighs> I have a strong position that I believe that, unfortunately, in the photography field in particular, there's a lot of competitiveness, mm -hmm. and I don't appreciate it. I, I've never enjoyed it, nor do I sort of try to participate in it. But unfortunately, it, I feel like there's a lot of it around. Yeah, and uh, that is not an issue here at all. And it's been absolutely fantastic over the years. I think we've had about 56 different artists from about 30 different nations all over the world staying in this tiny island. And one thing that I enjoy is that I bring these three people or six people together during a year, which is an experiment because it's three very different. <laughs> and artists are artists. I'm an artist myself and we are kind of weird. There's no two ways about it. So I'm exposing these artists then again to the local people on the island, which, you know, not all of them are very well versed, you know, contemporary art or arts in general. And I also expose them to the local people and I expose the local people to the artists. I mean, I know most people here on the island and the environment around me. So what we do is that we also introduce people, we introduce the artists to specific persons on the island so that they can get help, so that they can, you know, get in contact with people. If they want to do portrait work or get places, then they have some first point contacts that they can sort of pursue. And that has been working really well. Our biggest fans are now actually the local people. They were kind of weary at first, and all these cameras going around, you know. <laughs> it really took off. I think it was 2013 or 2014. I, I can't really remember because there's been so many. But then we had a Spanish artist over, Lucia Herrero. And she brought her partner, who was also posing as a model. And she was talking to us before she came and said, oh, she really wanted to do something with a reindeer. She had this idea uh, with reindeers. And we said, uh, okay. Um, there's no reindeers in the vicinity around here. You have to go really up in the mountains for that, you know? So what she did was that she got her mother to make a costume for her partner. And he was then trying to find his own, his own creatures, you know, find the reindeer family that he lost. So he has been to the shop. He has been to the pubs. He has been to the doctor's office. He has been riding around in the local car. He was also hunted by hunters, real hunters from uh, Halsney. And all this was portrayed then in tiny slideshows, slides. I think it was about 60 images on that exhibition. And it was hilarious. And then all of a sudden, the locals themselves were involved in a project. It was not something that they just came to view afterwards. But they had been part of the project from the start and was also the final result. And that series is now going around the world. 
And it's really, really funny. Well, you bring up the topic of sort of like how an artist should be uh, sort of thinking about a proposal for an artist residency in how they could do something very unique or specific to that region. And I've often wondered this, like when you, because like you're the other side, I'm the artist, so I'm the one that would be applying. So I'm saying from your side, do you want artists that like are saying, okay, I'm going to be in this very beautiful place, this unique place in Norway, and I want to do something specific about that or the, this, or is it equal or, or lesser? If an artist just says, I have this series of work that I want to do, it doesn't need to be in Norway, but like if I have the time and the ability to do it while at this residency, you know, that blah, blah, blah. Like, so like, I guess the question is like, how important is the sort of specific nature of the proposal being to the region and to the the culture and all this kind of stuff? Or is it, could it just be an artist saying, I really just want to get away from my normal life and have some time in Norway to sort of embrace the space and the location? To put it very shortly, yes to both. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> because... <laughs> I was hoping for like a clear answer one way or another. No, I mean, we have artists that have come up to us and, and uh, have very clear ideas of what they want to do. And then we have people who really just, as you said, just want the space and the time to work. And some people also have a project that they are working on and that they need to finish, you know. And then we know that those people who have very specific ideas of what they want to do, we also sort of warn them that really like your idea. But we know that once you step onto the island and the place, that might change completely. Because that happens, you know. And we've had all sorts of different reactions from artists when they arrive. One came straight from Japan. It was about six months after the tsunami. And came and sat down and just started crying. Because it was so peaceful. There was no anxiety. There was no, you know. My job is to be a therapist also, in a way. But yeah, but that's what I, you know, you work in different ways. And then you have another one who had been so busy before she came that when she arrived, she sat down and she could move more or less for a week because she was just, you know. And then you have those who have this specific idea that I want to do. Then they come and they see what's around them and uh, sort of change the plans completely. And that's fine. Okay. So, but let, let's take it back a step. So like, uh, because when I think about it, uh, one of my big anxieties when like applying for residencies is always like the application itself. Mm. I hate filling out those applications because I never know what they want to know. I am catching, keeping in mind, American here. So like I am catching that basically in Europe, what they often want is just sort of facts and figures, not like facts and figures, but like be humble and just be sort of just tell what you're going to do. Don't sort of like hype it. Don't say great things about it. Just say, I would like to come and do this and do this. And this is what I want to achieve kind of a thing. What should we be saying? I mean, I'm not asking for like, how can people cunningly get their, you know, finagle their way into your residency but it's like what what are you looking for when you are reading these applications more so than the pictures because the pictures is unique and individual to everybody but the text that comes in as the application is different oh that's where we are different you see because we don't have a form to fill out we don't have a written application 
we meet you face to face and that tells me everything I need to know. Plus then you, you show me your images and then you talk to me about your ideas and what you would like to do and what you, you know, things like that. So for us, the personal approach is far more important than reading and some about somebody on the form. A form, we've done that twice where we've taken in a person's just via email, basically. It was not a great success. And that's what I often wonder about is like, like I'm like here on the podcast, I'm very much like a very personable and like a nice guy. I think I am at least, I don't know. But like when it comes to like writing about my work, I get like super formal and like all kinds of shy and weird. And like it it ends up being really weird and not me, Mm. you know? So like I find the fact that, you know, artists these days that are expected to be able to write eloquently about their work, a very unfortunate turn of events. Mm. I don't know when it started or why it happened, but I wish it hadn't. Uh, And I find that really difficult myself. I mean, writing about myself or my own work and what I'd like to do. And my partner has the same. And I think that's one of the hardest things for an artist is to write and talk about yourself or your own work, because the work in most respects anyway are very personal. Sometimes it's better to have someone else write for you. You know, I think anyway, because they can see you from a different angle and where you're coming from. I'm all in on that. Yeah. 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 I love curators to write my text for me, like, because they see something that connects to the art world or the industry or, or the, the people they're pitching it to or whatever Mm. better than I ever would, because I, I mean, we're, it's all subjective, but like, we're all so close to our stuff. It's very hard to take a step back and be like, oh, it actually connects to other issues because of this and this, because we're producing the thing, not thinking about how it connects with other things. Yeah, and then you sit and look at what you've written and uh, sort of, ah, can I say that? No, I mean, it feels wrong somehow. Disingenuous in many ways. So I feel, I mean, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong or anything like that, but filling out in forms for an artist in residency and things like that, I don't think it's a good idea because you don't get the feel for who the person is. And I love you for it. (laughs) Thank you. But, uh, and also it distances the artist from the artist's own work as well, I think. So I would sort of say to other artist residencies out there, well, in this day and age where we've had the coronavirus and everything like that, everybody meets online, have a meeting online. You have every opportunity to do it. Not only that, but like the thing about that is, is like, okay, great. If, if an application for an artist residency said, okay, it'll be a 15 minute interview. I would love an application form to be basically a 15 minute interview because when it comes to an application, I will work for hours, if not days crafting that thing and then just like get a, a, a an email back within a week. No, thank you. You know, it's like you put all yeah. this time and energy into writing this stuff and filling out these forms and doing all these applications and then you get no. And it's just like. Why? I wish they would, you know, I like the idea of like a little short interview even just because like it's easier, faster, more personal, all these kinds of great things. And also it doesn't waste our time as creative people. Exactly. And uh, you're sort of stifling that creative nerve as well by having to do all this formal things, all the formal forms and things like that. Write a simple email. Tell me who you are. Send 
in some pictures as well, and we can have a meeting online, an interview, as you say, because that's a lot easier. And then you get to know each other, and you find out, well, and then it doesn't take me very long to find out if I like the person or not, you know? So it's <laughs> Fair enough. So is this my interview then? Is that what we're doing right now? Well, if you want it to be. <laughs> I would love to. Are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm all for it. Hmm. If it, I mean, I, and I am a photographer, so, you know, I do fit. <laughs> you do fit the bill. I haven't seen your pictures yet, but. I will happily send you my, my portfolio after this is all done. No problems at all. But I want to go back a little bit to talk about, like, first of all, how is this funded? Now, I know Norway is incredibly supportive of the arts. So I would imagine this is somehow government supported. I find it very curious that you say that Norway is funding the arts heavily. That's not correct. Oh, in comparison to a lot of the world, Norway is amazing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know much about the rest of the world, but basically it has been funded up till now from a local power company. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, we applied basically for sponsors, uh, sponsor money some years ago for the project and for an, another exhibition, presented the project for them. And they said, yeah, we'll go in and we'll support you. And it's not a large sum. And basically the, the museum sponsors my hours with it, you know, and it's not a large sum. It's about 30,000 kroner a year. I have no idea what that translates that to. That is about uh, 3,000 euros. A year? A year. And you live on that? No. That oh, okay. Is, I was going that... to say. <laughs> no, no, no. Shit. No, that is just for the artist's residency, for our expenses, frames, and also the food allowance, and basically our trip to all. That's it. The rest is done. Uh, my partner, he works voluntarily. He doesn't get any kind of money for the work he does. He does that as a volunteer. You all need to look into some of those Norwegian grants. There's some good money up there. Yeah, and so that's uh, one of the things that we're going to have to do now because the, the power company, they have changed direction in a kind of the, the sponsorships money and things like that. So it's now going more to young people, youngsters and things like that. So we've just been told, unfortunately, that they will not support us. They want to, but because of the higher lords have told them that uh, the sponsor money is going to go to different kinds of groups. But they have been with us for 10 years and have been a fantastic partner, sponsor uh, for us all over the years. And they have bought some of the works that has been presented from the artists. We've had uh, lectures with the artists for the company. So we had created a few events along the way. We've really appreciated each other, actually. So it's been really good. Is this change of direction sort of like COVID related or was this sort of a the coming for a long time kind of thing? I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. It's just they've been supporting like, you know, sports and things like that and also art, artists and things like that for a number of years now. But now they are sort of angling it more towards younger people. And yeah, I'm not quite sure yet, but that's what we've been told. And, you know, fair enough. We can't do anything about that, but we are planning a big event at the end of the year with the sponsors, basically appreciating each other and what we've actually achieved over these years. 
And there's been some battles also over the years with, is this really what the museum should be involved in? Is this a thing? Why should the museum be involved in photography or artists in residency and things like that? So there's been a lot of discussions, which we pulled through and managed to overcome and always had the sponsors on our side all the way and the local people. And we also have a volunteer group for the Halsner Cluster, who is also really very supportive of the project. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, why is the museum sponsoring a residency? And I mean, it sounds like the choice of photography is because both of you are photographers. Well, yes, it was not due to me being a photographer, but it was due to that we had two photographers here trying it out. Also, I mean, that has been a question that has been raised as well. Why not other kinds of art? Why not painting or ceramics or things like that? So that's all fair and good. I mean, I would love to have that as well. But then you would have to put some money into it. The museum would have to put some money into it to make the space viable for that kind of work as it is now. And purchase equipment and all exactly. kinds of different stuff. And yeah. I mean, you can't have people sort of standing in these rooms just uh, painting away, you know? There's no workshop for that. Therefore, the, the photography as a medium is just spot on for us. And I think actually we were the very first artist in residency for photography-based arts in Norway. I believe that. I mean, you could potentially invite, I don't know, curators, writers, musicians. Like there are other art forms that could be incorporated into it. Yeah, there are. That don't need equipment and space mm. and, all that, and won't make a mess and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. But then again, it needs to have, if you're going to sort of administrate it, it's kind of nice to know what you're doing, you know, and not necessarily go into something that you don't know much about. <laughs> I totally understand. Stay within your expertise, basically. Hmm. Like, yeah, that's why I don't have musicians on the podcast also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've had a few years back, long before we started this uh, residency thing, I had two and a half day festival every year which was called the Kloster Dagana, the Kloster Days. And that was comprising of contemporary classical music. And we had newly written pieces that was being uh, performed for the very first time here. And I was then collaborating with a violinist, now conductor, for years. And he was the artistic director for that. So that was a music literature uh, festival. So I've been into that as well. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, so you got a little, little skill on that. You can, you could pull some of that in. I guess, unfortunately though, it still comes back to like the need to find funding for regardless of what media yeah. people show up. I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize I came in on a time where it's sort of like transitional <laughs> with these questions. We will try to see if we can continue. We are not just sure how yet, but maybe we will have to take it down to one period during a year instead of two. We are quite confident that we might be able to continue in some form anyway. I have complete faith that there is either a company or a government or something that can support this kind of project in Norway. I mean, if there's any place in the world, Scandinavia region is the place to find, <clears throat> I think, arts funding in general. What I do know is that if we have to sort of close it down, then there's going to be uproar in the local community. So we might get some funding that way because <laughs> they've really enjoyed it. You know? Yeah. Sometimes creating a little drama makes it so people go like, no, I don't want this thing to go away. And suddenly you find funding from those people. 
Yeah, and that's been sort of when when we had the discussion is why should the museum sort of run this residency and things like that? Then when we could then show how much impact it had on the local inhabitants or the region, where all of a sudden we have so many more people coming in and people who've never even been to the monastery, they, they live on the island, but they've never been indoors. And why? Because all of a sudden there's my my great uncle, he's being portrayed in a video singing a lullaby. And that person, he himself singing on the video, had never been to Halsnay Kloster inside the house. So all of a sudden there was this, says, oh God, yeah, well, this is actually nice. You know, it's been a slow road, but it's slowly sort of educating that art is fun. History is fun. Well, at least it can be. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it can be. There is lots of not fun art in the world. There is, but we, we avoid them, don't we? <laughs> we try our best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard though. But I mean, going back to like the point of uh, like how you choose the people. So like, so you talked about how like you do interviews and you meet the people, but there's still that balance of like a good project or quality of work, I think. So like to a certain extent, like I know it's subjective, but like what's the quote unquote thing that defines good quality to you? Oh, good God. That's a terrible question. <laughs> well, it's an excellent question. It's a hard question to ask, yeah. answer, though. <laughs> it is a very hard, a very hard to answer. Um, I don't. I really don't know how to answer that. Would good quality? Could it be like people who never went to any art, arts education, but are practicing artists, or is it people just out of school, or is it like mid-career artists? So, like, is there sort of a, a a time period in the arts industry that seems to sort of constitute something that you think they'll that will be a a person that could get some benefit out of having this residency? Uh no, really, because uh, over, <laughs> uh, over the years we've had young people, we've had a couple of ladies who've been pensioners, more or less, well into their 60s. And then I would say most of the people who's been here is in the mid-30s or something like that, you know. And as I said, working in very different ways. And it's quite easy when you sit with a portfolio, it's quite easy to see if it's good work or not. It's coherent. It speaks to you in a way. And it's not necessarily that the angles are right or whatever, but it has to be something that is, it speaks to your heart in a way, not just your mind. Besides that, I don't know if, how to, I mean, good quality. You, you see good quality when you see it. W whether them being 17 or 70 is uh, really beside the point. But we've had all sorts. <laughs> But that's good to know because, like, I've been seeing a lot of residencies that have like age limitations. Like, mm. for for fuck, I, I, at one point I started looking at residencies. I had just turned forty, and I was like, "Oh, residency! That sounds like a great idea. I should go do that." And that year, all of a sudden, there were like dozens and dozens of magnificent residencies, all saying that you must be thirty-nine or younger. Yeah. Right. Thank you. And I'm just like, I just <laughs> turned forty. Yeah, fuckers. Yeah. Couldn't you lie? <laughs> no, 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 they would ask for my passport. So no. no. In that respect, we have been very fortunate because we are very free from uh, having those kind of limitations. The way we set the residency up, because we want it to be for everybody. 
as long as they're good people, good ideas and good work, you know? One of the things about residencies is some residencies sort of have expectations. Like you talked about the fact that you you expect anybody who comes and does a residency to turn around, what, a year later and do also then do an exhibition. But it doesn't necessarily even have to be directly what they did there, does it? Or could it just be an exhibition? It could be an exhibition, but preferably incorporate with some of the work that they did while they were here. For example, there was a person who was taken in and they had a project that they already started on, which we had actually one at one point. But if they finished the project here, then of course we would like to see that part of that project as part of an exhibition here. It doesn't mean that the artists have to turn up themselves. It doesn't have to be pictures on the wall. It could be video, it could be installation work, it could be, you know, different kinds of ways of showing what you've been doing. Sure. So now within your process, I am certain over the amount of years that you've been doing this, that you've had some, um, I'll put it politely and say, not the best experiences. (laughs) We've had very few, but there's been a couple. And what I wonder about, you don't have to tell me specifics and obviously don't tell me names, sort of like what makes for like a bad experience. As much as we're all hoping for like the best experience of our lives at a residency, it's also like, well, is it a personality trait oftentimes that like causes problems or is it interactions or is it, you know, like, what are some things that like basically we as practicing artists should try to avoid being problematic if we go to residencies? Well, the, the experiences that we've had has been basically with personality issues. The, the person is a bit different than we sort of sussed out beforehand. And that personality clashes with the other personalities on the house. And that is, of course, can be very difficult because they are living in the same house and they have to work around each other. And the way we do it as well is that they get the food allowance money and they, they go shopping and they cook and all that together, you know, if they want to. But uh, if you then have a person who is very high on themselves, and that is very often the case in my experience anyway, that if it's a person who is very high on himself, that's when you get clashes. And I'm not an easy person to clash with. Back. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> No, I'm just thinking back to an experience that I had in college. I lived in a, it's called a co-op, but I guess it's like a group home where we shared meals and all that kind of stuff. But we had our individual uh, apartments and all this. I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but there were some very um, outspoken vegan and vegetarians in the household. Mm -hmm. And we did not get along at all. um, And uh, that was difficult. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, then again, you understand why it's so important to meet people face to face. Because these two particular people that we hadn't met face to face. So that was that year that you just did the uh, written applications? Yeah. Well, the, 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 in the very first year and then uh, recently. Yeah. Reading the uh, email and the, the written word was fine, you know, looking very good on paper. But once you meet the person and you see them interact with the others and you see the others struggling, that's me being stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know, because you have to be there for both. And you're in your office trying to get work done. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, there's been, uh, I'm not going to name any names or time any times, but, uh, but considering that we've had 50 odd people and this, we're talking about all in all three artists that there's been it's sort a pretty of, good percentage. Yeah. And it has resolved itself whilst you're in it. It's kind of hard. I know. I remember mm. very clearly, very vividly to this day. Mm. But so the residency itself. So you were saying that people are staying in the house. Everybody gets private rooms, all this kind of stuff. Like so. And then I also noticed you said that you have a dark room available as well. Is that you still have a wet dark room? Well, it's a very makeshift dark room. You can develop your films and we have an enlarger there so you can make some test prints if you want but it's not a big lab or anything like that. If they have need of doing a serious darkroom work, then we suggest that they come and visit us because we have a big darkroom in our basement. But so it's basically, it's more like doing the test prints, like a draft in a way. Or at least just to being able to develop your film is nice. Yeah. So you see what you got, you, you know. What, and what about like the mediums? Like, so are people doing... A lot of digital, a lot of a uh, lot of analog, or even people doing like alternative processes. Like, what what kind of things are people doing these days? Uh, it all depends. I mean, there's been quite a few, of course, digital work because a lot of people have really, really decent digital cameras and things like that. But we've had quite a lot of analog work, both color and black and white, and there's been quite a few video works and cyanotypes. Doing cyanotypes on, yeah. Big fan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's been alternative ways of doing things. And then, you know, even being also a photographer and experimenting with things, and, you know, we have fun as well. You know, it's a process for us as well. So it gets us into moods and he has ideas and then, you know, we can help each other out with ideas and do different things. And also we had one who a few years back, who got involved with some of the locals as well and made installations in nature and using the installations as part of the work. So there's been all sorts of processes going on. And we try to accommodate and help people as far as we can with equipment and getting in touch with people and getting the right stuff and things like that. So... Yeah, I have to admit, like one of my big th things about um, residencies in general is, is it, it's a two-sided thing. Like it's making sure you can get all the equipment or resources that you need at the oftentimes remote location where the residency mm -hmm. is. And then vice versa, that like once you produce the thing that it's not like so massive or cumbersome that you can't sort of take it with you and ship it back and this kind of stuff are basically people just like making photographs there and then sort of leaving and then like printing them later and doing the other stuff later kind of stuff. A lot of the residency, it sounds like, is sort of the act of sort of just taking the photos themselves. Yeah, often just taking the photos or making the installations and doing the groundwork, making the sketches basically, and then you refine when you come home. Otherwise, you would have to stay for a lot longer than three weeks, you know. I mean, that would take a lot of time because you have to go through all the images, all the negatives, and then find out what you want to do with it and then do the selections. I mean, there's a whole big process after being in the residency that they do when they come back home. And sometimes if they have questions to, about what they've done and things like that, then we can communicate about the work and they will send us, you know, maybe we have a Skype or Zoom interview and go through 
how and when and what to do and things like that. But we don't decide. They decide themselves. I should hope so, yeah. But you're also a practicing photographer yourself. You also exhibit in a gallery in London, if I have saw it correctly. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> I often wonder, like, how is that sort of like, you're playing sort of like both sides of the, the field here. Like, you're the coordinator and practicing artist. Like, does it, to a certain extent, does that, does that help you? Like, is that beneficial to you? Or does that sort of maybe take away from some of your own artistic practice? That's a very good question because that's the question I've been asking myself for the last couple of years. The last couple of years, I haven't really produced very much. I have the stacks of negatives waiting for me to look at. <laughs> I mean, having a daytime job as well, being a create that is also a creative job. And then having the artist residency, yes, it does to an extent take away my own creative process. So I really need a residency. <laughs> I would love to. But uh, I, I, normally what I do is I join Avin when he has courses. He does photography courses, weekend courses and things like that. And then he does give specific tasks and, you know, you have to do a piece of work every day and then you have to show the next day. And I work very well under pressure. So basically my series, my most important series has been done under pressure. And during it was a four or five day workshop that we arranged here uh, with all about six, eight people. And I was, of course, the administrative person in the kitchens and the bedrooms and things like that. So I was also providing the meals and cooking. And normally I would have an hour or two in the middle of the day free to do what I wanted to do. And that's when I had to go and shoot my series. Wow. A whole hour, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's all you had free to like to fl fl flick the administrative switch off, turn the creative switch on, be creative, and then flip back to the administrative. See, that that's that part that I'm like, I wish we as creative people didn't have to like continually sort of like switch back and forth between these different modes all mm -hmm. the time. Like, I really want that time and space to be able to just say, I'm going to be creative and I'm going to put my time and energy into it. But unfortunately, we all have so many other things that we have to accomplish that it's very difficult these days. It is difficult, but I, as I said, I, I work quite well under pressure and knowing that I had that slot for between one and two hours, that those two hours, that's when I'm going to have to do my work, my, my photographic work, if I'm going to get to do it this weekend. So I, I hope you chose the right time of day with the beautiful lighting kind of thing. like the. Well, I had to take the time of day that was available to me. You said you've seen some of my work. Then the two first black and white series, they are all shot within two to three hours. That's super fast. Mm. I, I couldn't. I, I mean, I do that. I have done that, but I prefer not to do that. <laughs> no, but it was, it, I kind of work in a dreamlike way that I knew I had those hours to my disposal. And I used my children as models. So basically I made an appointment with my daughter from 12 to one, and then from one till two with my son. And sometimes they would have to be together. For me, I, I get triggered by objects or dreams and I get these weird ideas in my head and then I'm just going to have to go out and try and shoot them. And you start with an image of what you think you want. And then it, it's like a slow dance, a very quiet dance with my children. In the gardens and uh, 
yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> well, I, I did look at the works. Speaking of that, though, so let's say a photographer comes and they come to the monastery. Can they use, like, I don't even know if there's, like, objects in the monastery that they could use as props and things like this? Like, is this something that's also part of the residency as well? More, more or less everything that's in the house they can use as props, as long as they treat them nicely and put them back where they belong. Nice. Simple as that. I love that. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there something we haven't talked about? about? <laughs> there, I mean, there are lots of things we haven't talked about, yeah. but I'm just sort of, you know, don't want to overdo it. No. Oh, the only thing is I, I really hope that we will be able to continue with the residency. It's been so beneficial for us as well because we don't get the opportunity to go to residencies and travel extensively and things like that. So if we can't go out into the world, then, well, we have to bring the world here. That's what I hope I can continue to do. I hope you can as well. It sounds like it sounds absolutely magnificent, and I'd like to submit this as my application. <laughs> That's fair enough. Send me a portfolio and I'll have a look at you. <laughs> I will do that. But um, so taking together the portfolio reviews that you do, then the this these meetings, these either virtual or in real life meetings that you do with these people, like. Uh, I guess the question is going to sound horrible, but like, what are the the things? So like either artistically or personally that made you go like, nope, don't want that person. And the reason why I ask is because like I've done portfolio reviews, I've done interviews for jobs and other sorts of grants and residencies. And of course, the only answers you receive are yes or no. And if the answer is yes, you don't really know why they chose you. And if the answer is no, you don't really know why they didn't choose you. So like, if you could try and think of some like characteristics of like why somebody was not chosen to participate, I would love to know what those are. Because I was recently talking to another guest and he was telling me about like that when I go to portfolio reviews that I should dress how I normally dress instead of dressing up like I'm going to an interview because it puts on a facade that is not truly who you are. And so then they get the wrong impression and blah, blah, blah. So like, is that, is that kind of stuff a, a, a factor in it? Uh, not so much for us, I think, but I've had some strange meetings in the portfolio review room anyway. But we we've all had strange meetings and portfolio <laughs> reviews mentioned one he came to see us more than once over three three four years or something like that and he was wearing huge really dark sunglasses inside and i said okay fine and he sat down and he was really you know talking about his stuff and I, first of all i didn't really enjoy his stuff. I could see that it was okay. For some people, it was it probably was fantastic. But what annoyed me the most was that he did not take off his sunglasses once. So I couldn't see his eyes. And that, that for me was basically, as I told my partner, so that, sorry, I couldn't care less if the work was good. If he can't see me in the eyes, then he's not coming. As simple as that. That is a bit of an arrogant move, admittedly. Mm. But normally we meet some really good people. And for us, it's regardless of whether they come to see us to apply for the residency, we always give a feedback. We always give a review. 
based on what they show us, whether it's good or bad, or a lot of times it's sort of in between mediocre and, you know, started out going up there. But we see a lot of good stuff. And to give a feedback, to give a review, regardless of whether you think they're coming to the residency or not, is what we do. Because they deserve, they pay to come and see us and they deserve to get a decent review and a full review from both of us once they turn up to the table, whether they like this or that as a person or whether the pictures are like this or that. And then, as I said, we have so many to go through and we don't give them an answer there and then because we take their application with us back to our rooms and we don't decide anything on the shortlist until we've done all the interviews and then we go through them because you get sort of cards, you get websites, you get names. So we go through them all again. And then you start selecting what you think is good and what is bad. Well, okay. Speaking of that, because you mentioned that somebody came back multiple times. I've heard stories with other residency programs, so not yours, but other residency programs that if you apply the first time, you will never receive it. If you apply the second time, another year, you might receive it. I even know of one in Scandinavia that they they don't tell anybody this, but basically it's sort of what, one of their little guidelines that you have to apply at least three years before they will even actually look at your proposal because they they want to see the tenacity they want to see the desire they want to see and they also expect that that the, the projects will evolve and basically get better year over year and so by the third year they think it will actually be a good project and the people showed the tenacity to really want to be there is that something that you all take into consideration i mean even if like let's say an artist isn't spectacular but they've showed the dedication to apply again and again is that even a consider something that you consider Yes, because we have done that and we don't do it deliberately, but we've had a three or four that has come back to us year and year again. And we get to know them because we, you know, if we don't have enough slots in the official reviews, we also say that, okay, everybody knows where to find us. So sort of, you know where to find us, come to a table. If we have time, sit down, you know, we are open to everybody. And we've had a couple, especially one that was actually here in September. And she came back year after year and very personal projects she started out with. But we said, well, you're not really there yet. You have to sort of, she had really personal issues as well so that she was very open about. I mean, she didn't apply to us the, the first time. She just wanted to talk and for us to see her work. So we sort of advised her and she came back the following year and applied and she applied again. And then she started really working seriously. You could see she was starting working seriously. and. The work changed. And I said, well, right, this time, it's your turn. But that was not deliberate. It's just, I and mean, we've had another one, a girl from China. I think she's been come to see us five times. And she can hardly a word of English. I have to say that is a criteria that is not up there, but you need to be able to speak English if you are to come to Norway, because I speak a little bit of French. She's a lovely person. She's been to see us five times, but she comes just because we take her seriously and give her actually a serious review instead of saying, looking at the image and going, mm, yeah, well, I don't like that. This one's okay and this one. Sort of give them the respect they deserve for coming to your table and give them a decent review, whether it's good or bad, but give them some decent advice on the way. 
because there are a lot of reviewers out there. Sorry, they're going to be head chopped off, but there are a lot of reviewers out there that are a bit too arrogant in the way of uh, meeting people. You don't say. Yeah, I do. And I mean it too. <laughs> oh, I know. I've, I do portfolio reviews online anonymously through Lens Culture. Okay. And like, I, I've done like 3,500 reviews at this point online. And then, of course, I'm also a professor. There seems to be like these things that happen and like waves of sort of, you know, things that are in and out of fashion and all that. But like one of the things that I cannot sort of stand, a lot of people don't know how to give feedback because <laughs> like I see the other people that do the the online reviews and I've overheard people at portfolio reviews and like sometimes people just don't know how to give what I hope is always constructive feedback mm. you know because like even if you don't like the work you can still find some element in it to be like hey you know but maybe find this thing and push this way like this is a you know these days with like social media and, and the internet and all this kind of stuff where people are either horrible trolls where they say nothing but negative things or the only thing you get is just like a little heart under your Instagram picture that's mm. none of that is actually constructive feedback no. and that's a like an art form in and of itself that not everybody has the skill set to do well yeah and I think that there's room for a lot of improvement for a lot of people one thing is that these People who come to see you across the table. And one thing is on an online review where you sent in pictures and you get a written review back. That's one thing because you don't meet the person. But there's quite a few people who are really nervous about sitting down across the table with you because it's direct. You get that feedback direct. So to the reviewers out there, be a little humble. They are actually showing you their work. They're actually showing you something that is very important for them be humble about that it's hard yeah i'm not going to sit here and like bad mouth anybody or anything like that but yeah no but i think that was the piece of advice for today <laughs> which is usually my last question so there we go advice is try to be humble but this is a this is a general thing that i find uh, sort of consistently throughout the arts industry as a whole is like arrogance and all this kind of stuff just doesn't play well period like in any way shape or form no matter where you are what level you are everybody wants to be part of the community we don't want to be ostracized or pushed out or embarrassed out of or whatever you know it's why we all came into the arts industry we love the community and like that network and whatever word you want to put to it is at the the core of it all as far as i'm concerned if you have time then i'm going to just tell you a small story i love a story it's it's quite cheeky in a way. We'll find Even out why. better. Is it dirty? <laughs> and no, it's not really dirty. I could make it dirty, but I don't think I will. Um, well, one of the first years when we went to Arl, I mean, there's lots of, you've probably been to Arl several times. And there's this plaza in the middle of the town where you have lots of restaurants and bistros and things like that. And so you go from one to the other and it's very, very busy. It's the busiest week, a whole year in Arl, that uh, festival week. So we went in and sat down, sort of time for lunch. You could see the waiters were really stressed out and they were not looking at people, were just looking across the tables and seeing if, you know, everybody got served. And finally, this person comes over to my place and asked me what I want. I said, um, 
well, I'd like a black coffee, please, and also a smile. And I thought, right, this can go one or two ways. He looked at me and he said, well, excuse me? He said, yeah, a uh, coffee and uh, a smile. And I smiled at him. And then he smiled. And since then, we have been served at that same bistro with a smile, being family and being greeted with a hug and always being patient, not rushing the service or the, the, the personnel because they are working their arses off that week. So also, when you're out there, smile. It has worked fantastically. And we then see each other in a different way. No, It's very easy. Life can be very easy if you want it to be. Indeed. And that is a great way to end this. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you. It's been really nice talking to you. To wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com. Thank you.